Psalm 121, a song of ascents. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. As we consider this psalm this afternoon, I think uh, probably we'll focus our attention on the main ideas of the psalm if we ask ourselves first a couple of questions about it. And the first of those questions is uh, about the first uh, verse where he says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. There are two ways to understand that. Some look at the hills here as obstacles that stand in the pilgrim's path as he makes his way to Jerusalem. They take a negative view, therefore. He's he's making his pilgrimage to Jerusalem uh, uh, to celebrate one of the annual feasts, and the, the journey which he's making is a difficult journey, and he is really asking then, what uh, will be my help as I seek to overcome these obstacles, these hills that stand in my way. And it's even possible um, in that interpretation that he's saying here, I will lift up my eyes to those hills on which uh, the people of God have sometimes in the past uh, offered sacrifice to idols. Remember that the scriptures talk about them uh, offering to idols on every high hill and under every green tree. And so it's possible in that view, I think, that uh, he would be thinking about that. I will lift up my eyes to those hills. I will see that idolatry or I will see these obstacles, whatever it is. These are things that would prevent me from getting to my destination. Where is my help going to come from? But the other uh, possibility, uh, and this is the, um, what the King James does with it very definitely, is that this is to be understood positively of the hills of Jerusalem. The King James makes that verse all one sentence. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. So it's basically saying my help comes from those hills and that's why I'm lifting up my eyes to them. So that's the positive view then. He's lifting up his eyes to the hills of Jerusalem. He knows that those hills are the dwelling place of God. He looks to those hills then as the place from which his help must come. Now, in light of other scripture passages, it's possible, I think, also to take either one of these views. If you uh, turn, for example, to Psalm 68, verse 16, you find there a negative view of the hills. Uh, the hills here considered as the symbols of the nations uh, that are opposed to Israel. Psalm 68, verse 16, Why do you fume with envy, you mountains or hills of many peaks? This is the mountain which God desires to dwell in. 
Yes, the Lord will dwell in it forever. So that's, you could take it that way. Or if you turn to Psalm 125, verse 2, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. So there you get the, the positive view of the mountains. The mountains providing uh, guarding for the city of Jerusalem. Now I'm not sure it matters greatly which way you understand it, but I like the latter view rather than the former, that he's talking about lifting up his eyes to the hills of Jerusalem and that he's expecting his help from the city of Jerusalem, the dwelling place of God. So that's the first question. The second question is about the change of person between verses 2 and 3. Notice he speaks in the first person in verses 1 and 2. My help comes from the Lord. But in verse 3 and all the rest of the psalm, he changes to the second person. He will not allow your foot to be moved. And I think you can understand that in different ways. For example, some take that to mean that the psalmist is, uh, in the second part of the psalm, addressing himself. He first says about himself, I will lift up my eyes to the hills, my help comes from the Lord, and then he, as it were, uh, turns inward and addresses his own soul, as he does, for example, in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And he says to himself, He will not allow your foot to be moved. In other words, he's reassuring himself, then, that the Lord is indeed his help and that the Lord will see him through. That's one possibility. Another possibility, suggested by one of the uh, messages I listened to on this psalm this week, is that you have the in the first two verses of the psalm a somewhat immature and inexperienced pilgrim uh, uh, trying to reassure himself and strengthen himself in his faith. And he says to himself, my help comes from the Lord. But then a more experienced person says to him, a more mature pilgrim says to him, he will not allow your foot to be moved. In other words, he's reassuring this younger, less mature Christian that the Lord will be his help. And then there's a a third possibility yet, and that is that in the first two verses of the psalm, the psalmist makes a personal confession And then in verses 3 and following, what he does is he turns to his companions, to his fellow travelers, to his fellow saints, and he applies to them what he has just confessed about himself. My help is from the Lord. And he turns to them and he says, he will not allow your foot to be moved. What is true of me is true also of you. And again, though I... um, don't think it matters greatly. I prefer that last interpretation. That this is the psalmist talking throughout this psalm. It's the same voice. And first he talks about himself. He makes his personal confession of faith. And then he turns to us and he says, take this same lesson to heart for yourselves. He will not allow your foot to be moved. So let's consider the psalm under the theme, from where does your help come? And we're going to look first at the question and answer in verses 1 and 2, and then 
at the application of the lesson in verses 3 to 8. Now, though I said in the introduction that uh, the psalmist does not, I think, mean to look at the hills as obstacles here, it's nevertheless the case that the psalmist, there's trouble for the psalmist, implied at least in this psalm. He doesn't name the trouble in any way whatsoever. He doesn't uh, hint even at the nature of the trouble. He doesn't say to us anything about the way being long or the way being difficult. He doesn't say to us anything about temptation or about trouble from enemies. There's nothing about it. This, But the trouble is clearly assumed. He needs help, he says. And obviously, you need help when there is trouble of some sort. So the, the assumption, at least, of trouble lies in the background of the psalm. And he asks then, with regard to this trouble, from where does my help come? Now we could answer that question in different ways. You could answer that question, well, my help comes from myself. I will be my own help. This is, I think, very often the sort of approach we take to trouble today. We think it's it's honorable and it's good and it's uh, uh, it reveals the strength of care, strength of character. If you can deal with your troubles by yourself, I don't need any help. I can do this by myself. Just leave me alone and I'll get through it. That kind of approach to our troubles and that considered a very a virtuous kind of approach today. But I think the very way that the psalmist uh, phrases his question here means that he's not doing that. He's, he's not saying, what shall I do? He's not looking inward. He's looking outward. From where does my help come? So he rejects that in the very form of the question. My help is not in myself. My help has to come from outside. The second uh, uh, answer to the question, from where does my help could be, well, it comes from others. It comes from my friends, it comes from my family, it comes from my neighbors, it comes from government agencies, it comes from the church, it comes from any one of a number of sources, it comes even perhaps from things, to people and to things for our help. And Again, of course, this is not where the psalmist is headed. He asks his question, and he gives an immediate and unequivocal answer to the question. He doesn't ask the question because he's doubtful about the answer. From where will my help come, or from where does my help come? He knows the answer. The question is a kind of rhetorical question. My help comes from the Lord, he says, in immediate answer to his own question. My help comes from the Lord. And if, you, if I'm right about the interpretation of the first line of the verse, he's really answered this question already before he's even asked it. He says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. I will lift up my eyes to the dwelling place of the Lord. 
I will lift up my eyes to the city of God. From where comes my help? And then he repeats it as it were. My help comes from the Lord. And he encourages himself then to take hold of that answer and to rest upon that answer by adding who made heaven and earth. This Lord then is not one of the gods of the nations who cannot hear or speak or taste or smell, who has no hands to render him any help, who uh, cannot do anything at all for him. Nor is this Lord like one of the sons of man in whom there is no help. This is the Lord who made heaven and earth. If he has done all of these great things, if he has made the stars in their places, the sun and the moon, if he has made the earth and the mountains and the oceans, if he has made the uh, depths of the seas and the great Uh, creatures that live in the seas, if he has made me who am wonderfully and fearfully fashioned, then surely he is also able to help me. The God who sits enthroned above the heavens and who rules over the mountains and the seas is also a God who is able to help me. Now this question from where does my help come is a question that is very relevant, of course, to us. It ought to be our question, your question. From where does your help come? And from where does your help come in the day-to-day business of your life? Psalmist doesn't say here that he's talking about big troubles. From where does my help come in the, in the big troubles, the big afflictions of life, the big moments of anxiety and crisis? Those are included. But he's also talking about the day-to-day business of life. From where does my help come today? As the Lord calls me to his service today, from where does my help come? As the Lord calls me to deal with my children, to love my spouse, to deal with my fellow saints, to work with the relationships in which I find myself at work or on the street or wherever it may be, as I do my grocery shopping or as I sit at my desk doing my my work at my desk. From where does my help come? There's no circumstance of life that is exempt from this question. From where does your help come? In all the big and small troubles of life, in all the circumstances of life, in all the ways in which God calls you to walk, From where does your help come? And your answer, of course, should be, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now 
Now that's not to say, of course, that the Lord does not use earthly means to help us. He has provided for us the saints. He has provided for us the means of grace, the preaching of the gospel and the administration of the sacraments, the mutual encouragement and admonition of the saints. He's provided all kinds of things to be our help. And the point which the psalmist is making here is not that we do not make use of the means that God has provided, but that we do not trust in those means. As soon as we trust in those means that God has provided in any other person or in any other thing besides the Lord our God, that thing has become our God. And that thing is like the gods of the nations who cannot see, nor hear, nor taste, nor smell, who have no hands to handle anything. That person or thing is like the sons of man in whom there is no help. As soon as we look to them as the ultimate source of help, we use those means then, we must use those means as the means which God has provided, trusting in him and saying of him, the Lord is my help. And he uses these things so that all things work together for good to those who love his name. Let's look then at the second part of the psalm. This is somewhat different. We've already noted, of course, the change in person from in verse 3. that He begins to speak in the second person. I want to um, talk about that just a little bit more. And I want to talk about that from the perspective of singing this psalm in our worship. You say, or you sing this psalm in worship, and you begin with that personal confession, I will lift up my eyes to the hills, from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You sing to the Lord, and you sing in the presence of your fellow saints, that personal confession. And then you turn to your fellow saints and you say to them, he will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Or you can turn it around and you can say, you hear your fellow saints singing this personal confession. My help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And then you hear them turning to you and saying, he will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. You see the interchange then that's going on in worship as we sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And as Paul says in Ephesians 25, as we admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Our song is praise to the Lord, but it is also a talking back and forth between each other about the word of God and about what God has done for our souls. Now this whole psalm is characterized by a full and quiet confidence in the Lord. Though the background, the assumption of the background, anyway, is that we live in trouble. And this life is, of course, the valley of the shadow of death. 
while we live in trouble, we nevertheless find here in this psalm a full and quiet confidence in the Lord. And this comes out especially here in this second part of the psalm in that word keep. You have six verses here and six times in those six verses the psalmist uses the word keep. Verse 3, he who keeps you will not slumber. Verse 4, behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. And then going down to verses 7 and 8, the Lord shall keep, it's not a different word in the Hebrew, the Lord shall keep you from all evil. He shall keep your soul. The Lord shall keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. So it's a constant repetition of one word, of one idea. The Lord is your keeper. And with that in mind, then, let's look at the details of those six verses. In the first place, he says, He will not allow your foot to be moved. Now, the immediate response we may have to that is, how can that be? How can we say that? Our feet are always slipping and sliding. Our feet are always being moved. We fall into sin. We are troubled and anxious about the troubles that uh, come our way. We are uh, in despair sometimes about our enemies. We cry with the psalmist in Psalm 42. Why are you disquieted, my soul? Our souls are often disquieted. We are shaken by the storms and the troubles of, of life. How can we say, he will not allow your foot to be moved? Well, there are, I, I think there are, I think, two things that we can say about that. First of all, as we trust in him, we are not moved. If we trust in him as we should trust in him, we will not be moved. But of course, we don't trust in him as we should trust in him. And still we can make this confession. He will not allow your foot to be moved. And we can say that because he will not allow any enemy or any circumstance to do us vital or permanent damage. This is what Asaph confesses in Psalm 73. He begins that psalm by saying, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. But he ends that psalm in a very different tone of voice. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. You will not allow my foot to be moved. Or we have Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. Proverbs 24, verse 16, which we looked at not too long ago in our Bible study on Wednesday. For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. That's what it means. He will not allow your foot to be moved. You may fall, but he will lift you up again. 
The second thing that he says is that the Lord does not sleep. And he says this twice, or perhaps you could even say three times. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. I think the first thing you should think about in uh, response to that verse is the mockery of Elijah to the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. It's found in 1 Kings 18, verse 27. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. And the response of the prophets of Baal was to cry louder and to cut themselves with knives until the blood gushed out. Their, their idea was, of course, well, maybe, maybe Elijah's right. Maybe he is meditating, or maybe he is on a journey, or, or maybe he is sleeping. And we have to cry even harder, even louder, in order to get his attention. But the reassuring word of God to us is, he does not slumber. Your Savior, who stands at the right hand of the Lord, does not sleep at the right hand of the Lord. He stands as Stephen saw him standing while the Jews were stoning him. He stands to watch over you. He does not slumber or sleep. And we may add to that, he is not at any moment distracted so that, oops, something slipped by me. Doesn't happen to him. He's not sleepy in that sense either, that he may be distracted from you for a moment. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The third thing he says then is the Lord is your keeper. And that word keeper means, I think, both guardian and preserver. He stands guard over you and he preserves you at all times and in all places, whatever the circumstances of your life may be, the Lord is your keeper. He adds, the Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. You walk in the shadow of the Lord himself. A couple of verses again. First from the psalm that we sang a few minutes ago, Psalm 91, verse 1. This is another psalm that is very reassuring for us. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And then again, just verse 5, though the whole psalm is really relevant here, but especially verse 5, you shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day. That means at all times, of course, by day and by night, 
It means from all creatures, from creatures of the day and creatures of the night. It means from all spiritual forces, from the creatures of darkness, as well as from those creatures who disguise themselves as angels of light. No creature of day or night, not day or night itself, shall harm you. He is your shade. The second passage is Isaiah 4, verse 6. Isaiah 4, verse 6. There are many that passages that speak of the Lord as our shade. But this is a, another one that's particularly relevant here, I think. Isaiah 4, verse 6. Let's begin at verse 5. The Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a covering, and there will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from the heat, for a place of refuge, and for a shelter from storm and rain. He is your shade at your right hand. He will keep you from all evil. There are no exceptions. You must not say to yourself when you are particularly distressed, not from this evil. He has failed me here. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your soul. He will not allow your soul to fall into the hands of the enemy. And finally, he will keep your going out and your coming in. It is whatever you do in life, in all the business of life, whether you are going out to do your work or whether you're coming home after the day of work is done, he will preserve you, he will keep you in your going out and your coming in. There is no circumstance of life, no time of life in which he will not be with you. He is your keeper from this time forth and even forevermore. That means here and now. While you sit here listening, and when you leave this place, and forever, from this time on to the end of your life, He will keep you. And he will bring you to glory as he has promised. Now notice that as you look at those last six verses, that they are entirely about what the Lord will do. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, not from myself. And my help comes from the Lord because He is my keeper and my shade at my right hand to shelter me from all the dangers of this world. Turn your attention to Him. Don't look at yourself. That's when your faith will falter. That's when you will grow weak. That's when you will begin to question whether the Lord is really with you 
or not. Turn your attention to him. Take hold of his promises. Believe what he has said. He says it to you here. I am your help. I am your keeper. And for an example of this, look at your Savior in the Garden of Gethsemane, who in the most desperate trouble of life asked the Lord to remove from him the cup which he had given him to drink, and when he did not, still said, the Lord is my keeper. He will not allow my foot to be moved. He went on in the way to which the Lord had called him, in the full confidence that whatever happened in that way, and it was going to be terrible, the Lord would keep him. And it is that Savior who has passed through that fiery furnace and now stands at the right hand of God praying, Lord, keep those whom you have given to me. I kept your law. I walked your way. I obeyed your will even unto death. Keep those whom you have given to me. You cannot receive people of God, any stronger assurance of the Lord's keeping you than you have here in this psalm, I think. Nothing is left unsaid. There should be no questions that arise. Well, what about this or what about that? The psalm covers it all. Hear this then not only as the word of your brothers and sisters to you as you sing this psalm in worship. Hear this as the very word of God. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He He who keeps Israel will not slumber or sleep. The Lord is your keeper, your shade, and your right hand. May God bless his word for us.